0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant Statesville Audio Podcast. I don't know about you, but Lord of the Rings is one of my favorite movie series of all time. Um, It's a classic. It's a three-movie trilogy, and um, it's an epic portrayal of good versus evil. I mean, throughout the whole series, that's this fight between good and evil that's going on. I actually have a clip that I want us to watch this morning. Um, It's a clip. um, It's a Right, so it's, in the, it's uh, the last one, um, Return of the King. And uh, it's a very last, right before the last battle scene. And uh, the good forces have gathered outside the black gate, which is the gate for the black, the, the bad guys. And um, Aragorn, that, I can never pronounce his name, Aragorn. Thank you, Aragorn. Um, <laughs> I knew there'd be another fan in here somewhere. Aragorn. He's coming up to his men and he realizes he's seen their faces, the fear of what they, they, they're realizing what they're about to face. And he has this speech that even today gives me goosebumps when I listen to it. So I want us to hear his speech. the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship. But it is not this day. An hour of wolves and shattered shields when the age of men comes crashing down. But it is not this day. This day we fight. By all that you hold dear on this good earth, I bid you stand, men of the West! Okay. It goes on for a little bit more, but it, it serves my, my, my point here. I love this. Again, It's sometimes in the moment, um, he's approaching. he goes, Sons of Gondor, of Rohan, my brothers, I see in your eyes the same fear that would take the heart of me. A day may come when the courage of men fails, when we forsake our friends and break all bonds of fellowship, but it is not this day. I just love that. It is not this day, this declaration that today will not be the end. Now, the, I don't know if you know this, but originally the series, the video series, um, The Lord of the Rings, is, was by a book, uh, was written by a book by J.R. Tolkien back in the 50s. is when it was published. Tolkien is a devout Catholic, or was, I think he's passed. But the series is loaded with Christian themes. Um, good versus evil, humility over pride, Activity of grace, of mercy of repentance, self sacrifice, justice, fellowship, authority, and divine providence are just some of the themes that are just, they permeate the, the series all throughout it. Throughout all three of these series, there is just this never ending struggle. It all begins with this, all about this one ring that they've got to destroy. For three movies, that's the storyline how do we, we got to destroy it. And it's the journey to take it to the one place that it could be ultimately destroyed. And it seems like in every episode, in every series, in every movie that there's two steps forward, one back, two forward, one back, one forward, two back. And it's just this ongoing tension. Aragon's speech, that speech right there we just saw was the moment when you knew the tide was about to turn for good once and for all. Now, we see a very similar climactic moment in the book of Haggai. Now, we've been studying this uh, for the last couple of weeks, but there's this moment when you know that things are about to shift. The story's about to change, and things are going to be different than what they've been. Now, again, the setting for this is that the Israelites, for decades, for generations, have been sinful and disobedient. And God, because of their disobedience, allowed the Babylonians to come and take take them over, and conquer them, and carried away tens of thousands of people, which was common. They would take them, relocate them um, back in Babylon. This is where we get Daniel and the lion's den and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. All those stories actually take place in Babylon. Um, those were, they were among those carried away. But um, Nebuchadnezzar, the Babylonian king, also took all the gold and silver artifacts from the temple and then leveled the temple. Now remember, the temple was the center of life for the Israelites. It was, uh, it was a point of contact between them and God. Without the temple, there was no relationship. There was no point of connectivity with God. <clears throat> for 50 years, that was the way it was, complete. There, nothing happened. And then after 50 years, and uh, through a series of king changes and actually a couple regime changes, they're allowed to return to Israel and rebuild the temple. And the Israelites they actually finished the foundation and uh, then all the work stops. And for 18 years nothing happens. The Israelites were struggling on their own all the while ignoring God. And they play they I'm sorry. They paid a price for the misplaced priorities. You know it's the same for us today. When we put other things before God, God withdraws his favor, we experience a drought in our lives, and we open our lives to pain and regret. When we put other things before God, when we allow other things to take his place, his rightful place, we set ourselves up for, for not so good things. And that's what the Israelites were experiencing. They found themselves in a bad place with no real hope for the future. Now, the prophet Haggai comes to town claiming that he has a word from the Lord. And he basically tells him, you are so busy with your own lives that you have no need for God. You only call on him when you're in trouble. And you don't want him as Lord. You actually want him as your servant, someone that you will do your bidding. And I remember thinking, how apropos is that even for us today? Because that's really how we approach God. We don't want him as Lord. We want him as a servant, someone that we can ask to do our own bidding. And then through the words of the prophet Haggai, God tells the people, rebuild my temple so I can live among you once again. And as we read, read the section here of the story we're just about to read, you can sense the tide is about to turn. The narrative of the story is about to change. So we're going to pick this up in Haggai chapter 1, verse 12. So you can follow along in the screen <clears throat> or read it there on your own. Then Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, Joshua, son of Jehozadak, the high priest, And the whole remnant of the people obeyed the voice of the Lord their God and message of the prophet Haggai, because the Lord their God had sent him. And the people feared the Lord. Then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. So the Lord stirred up the spirit of Zerubbabel, son of Shealtiel, governor of Judah, and the spirit of Joshua, son of Jehozadak the high priest, and the spirit of the whole remnant of the people. They came and began to work on the house of the Lord Almighty their God on the 24th day of the sixth month in the second year of King Darius. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for Haggai and his recounting of this whole incident, this episode, and Uh, Lord, what a lesson it is to us today, 2,000 years, 20, almost 3,000 years later, when we have a chance to rethink and and reevaluate what they experienced and how that applies to us today. So Lord, in the next few minutes, speak to us that we would also understand what your message would be for us um, as well. And so we commit this time to you in Jesus' name, amen. A couple things I want to point out in this passage that I think are really significant. Uh, One is in verse 12. And the people observed, I'm sorry, and the people obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, here's the thing that's interesting. God didn't speak directly to them, did he? There was no audible voice from God speaking from heaven. But yet the Bible says here that they obeyed the voice of the Lord. Now, what does that tell us? That tells us, well, they, they actually heard Haggai's voice, didn't they? But they attributed that to being from God. So what does that tell us? It tells us that God will speak to us from other people, through the voice of other people. Um, some of you may know this already, but um, a couple years ago, um, you know, it was probably when in the spring of 2000, actually around this time, maybe a month or so later in 2018, um, pastor Farrell called me and said, hey, are you available for lunch tomorrow? And uh, so we got together, and we were talking, and, and he and I had done this once or twice over the years, and and uh, so this wasn't necessarily uncommon, but um, he said, you know, you know we have a need for campus pastor in Statesville. Would you be interested in having a conversation about that or kind of going through that process? And You know, at the time I was finishing up my degree, and um, I was actually beginning to look for teaching opportunities and starting to explore those. And the idea of being a campus pastor, of being a pastor, um, was not on my radar. That's not something we were intending to do. And uh, but the more that Betts and I taught and uh, we prayed about it. Um, the more we felt this excitement growing within us that there was something stirring, that something we didn't know about was happening. And as we met with uh, Pastor Farrell and the team, and the more we talked and the more we prayed, that there was just this sense that this is what was God was doing. And so although the invitation came from Pastor Farrell, we understood that this was God's leading to us and speaking to us with an Arkansas accent. <clears throat> God will speak to us through the voice of others. That also means we need to be careful who we listen to. Because some people speak authoritatively as if they're speaking on behalf of God, but they're not. So we need to be careful of that as well. But don't be afraid to listen to others and and discern, is God speaking in this? There's another significant moment in this passage here. Also in verse 12, it says, and the people... Feared the Lord. Now, fear here is not them hiding under a blanket, cowering, you know, like they're afraid, and, and just that's not that kind of fear. The fear is this and you remember this from your days of growing up, when you, you're misbehaving, something's not right, <clears throat> and your parent, mom or dad, says something to you, and they've said it multiple times, but something in the time they just recently, most said it most recently. Something in their voice said that things have changed. It's about to get serious and that we need to act and move, not because we're afraid, but because we know of what they're capable of. <laughs> There's no messing around. There's certain times when you get that, when it's, I don't know about you, for, for me, it wasn't my mom, it was my dad. There was just that tone in his voice that when he he's when he like, oh, Something's different in this moment. I need to pay attention. No messing around. <clears throat> There's another thing about their response that I think is significant. They didn't just sit around and talk about hey, guys, message, they didn't debate it. Neither did they wallow in their guilt about what they had done wrong and the fact that they hadn't done anything 18 years. They didn't sit there and just wallow in that. And, and they immediately got to work. They immediately got to work rebuilding the temple. And the thing we need to remember is that what pleases God is obedience. God isn't honored by good intentions. He's honored by action. And the Israelites had made a mess of their lives. But they didn't just sit around praying and asking God to make things better. Because their circumstances were of their own making, they knew they had to do something to make things right. 2 Corinthians 7 tells us that godly sorrow leads to repentance. Repentance isn't just saying I'm sorry. Repentance actually refers to turning around. It's literally doing a 180. I'm heading in this direction, I'm repenting, which means I'm going to turn around and go in the other direction. Repentance just means I'm sorry, and I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing. Repentance means I'm sorry, and I'm going to stop it, and I'm not going in that direction anymore. We need to change our behavior in that case. If we're doing something we shouldn't do, then stop. If, like the Israelites, we need to do something that we're not doing, then start doing it. The Israelites received a word of correction from Haggai, and they responded in obedience. They refocused their priorities and began to work on the temple. Which leads me to, I think, is the biggest moment in this entire story. It's in verse 13. <clears throat> then Haggai, the Lord's messenger, gave this message of the Lord to the people. I am with you, declares the Lord. When God sees that the people are genuine in their repentance and they're committed to obeying him, he looks down at them and says, Okay, now I'm on your side again. Now I'm with you. I don't know about you, but that's all I need. You know, we see, you know, in TV shows or movies where you've got some little kid who's kind of a punk and he's, you know, maybe picking on the school bully because his big brother is standing behind him. You know, that kind of thing. This isn't that. This isn't what's happening here. We're talking about the creator of the universe who literally, as we're told in scripture, spoke the word and everything came into existence. He exists outside of time and space. This is the same God who parted the seas for the Israelites on their flight from Egypt. This is the same God who kept Daniel safe from the lions. This is the same God who raised Jesus from the dead. If this God is with me, what else do I need? Isaiah 41 tells us, For I hold you by your right hand, I, the Lord your God, and I say to you, don't be afraid, I am here to help you. You know, it's interesting, uh, back in the the 40s, some of you you may be familiar with um, Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs. He proposed a theory that each person needs five things in life. There's five things that motivate us as we, move, as we go through life. Um, I've condensed them to two. Uh, cons- I've consolidated them to two. And basically, to me, it boils down to security. We have physical needs, um, food, you know, water. We need shelter, you know, those types of things. We have security issues. We also want significance. We want meaningful relationships. We want a sense of purpose, a sense of reason for being, um, security and significance. But can we truly achieve security and significance outside of God? I mean, is anyone truly secure? I mean, two weeks ago, I would have thought the state capitol, or I'm sorry, our national, our, our, um, the U.S. Capitol building in Washington is one of the most secure buildings on the planet. And we may have our moments, but does anyone actually feel secure ultimately? We think if we have a little more money, then we'll be okay. We'll be secure. Then we don't have to worry. We don't have to. I think it's interesting. Um, Rockefeller, John D. Rockefeller, back in the um, turn of the 1800s and the 1900s, he owned everything. I mean, literally, he was almost like, they already said that 3% of, he he owned, he possessed 3% of the national um, the uh, GDP, the gross national—what was that? Product, the economy. So let me put it in, in terms in today's money. He had was about he was worth 418 billion at the heights of his power and wealth. To put it in context, that's Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos combined, more than what he had. Someone asked him, "How much more money do you need?" his response was, just a little more. Just a little more. Do you know why people who have a lot of money don't feel secure? Because they know how much they can lose. Because I have more, I'm at risk more, there's more that's impossible that can be be lost. That's why I'm always uh, kind of find it a little ironically humorous. When I've gone with people, we're we're visiting a a, a developing country, and you're dealing with people who are literally living in mud huts. And you say, well, why? are They're so happy and generous, and yet they've got nothing. And Well, they're that way because they don't have anything to lose. They're free because they have nothing. So why do I have to hold on to anything? People who own a lot of stuff, the risk or the dangerous is that they feel like they have to protect it outside of God, and that is never a safe place to be. Now, it doesn't mean that you can't have money, but also recognize that God's, God owns all this. And we can be free of that pressure. But money alone, security alone, outside of God, just doesn't exist. Is anyone truly significant? Is it possible to find a true sense of significance outside of God? It seems like everyone and their brother has a podcast these days. You ever notice that? They're all over the place. You can find a podcast for any topic by all kinds of people. People try to gain a sense of worth by how many followers they have on Twitter or Instagram. If I had nothing, if everything of value was stripped away from my life, like Job. You see that, a perfect example. But God says to me, I am with you. Really, what more do I need? What more do I need? Do I need to fear anything? You know, this, um, this, these words, I am with you, does that sound familiar? Do you hear that anywhere else in the scripture? Okay? Yes. In Matthew 28, I think you're talking about the, the roughly the same thing. Matthew 28, Jesus' last words to his disciples. Jesus saying, He says, I have been, I, Jesus, I have been given all authority in heaven and on earth. So, again, Jesus is part of the Trinity. He's part of that. So all that stuff I was just talking about, the creator of the earth, and that's Him. He, it's all, he has all authority for that. And I said, I have all authority in heaven and earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach, them, teach these new disciples to obey all commands I have given you. And be sure of this, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. God no longer resides in a temple, in a single, a single building or a single place, He resides in each of us. And for God to say, I am with you always, what more do we need? God, the creator of the universe, the one who made everything, tells the Israelites, I am with you. Jesus says, I have all authority and I am with you. But action is needed. Israelites had to rebuild the temple and the Christ followers, us, we're called to action as well. And when our action is a direct response to God's direction, good things happen. Obedience is always the better choice. Let me wrap up these four things in your outline. Obedience is an act of worship. Worship is simply the acknowledgement of God's priority in your life. We worship when we give offering. We worship when we sing. We worship when we pray because we're giving God acknowledgement in that same vein, we worship God when we obey what he's asked us to do because we're acknowledging him in our life. When we choose to trust God and follow his ways, our lives become worship to him. Obedience is better because it pro- it, obedience to God proves our love for him. 1 John 5 says, In fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands, and his commands are not burdensome. Our obedience to God's direction should come as a natural outgrowth of our love and gratitude for his goodness. A third reason why obedience is better is that obedience to God positions us to live in God's favor. Christians often perceive obedience to God as some test designed to see if we're really committed to him. But what if it was designed, what if uh, his requests are designed To give us what is best for us. It's not a test. It's not some way, it's not something to be uh, persevered through, but it's something given to us because it's for our best. Lastly, obedience is always the better option because obedience opens the way for God to work through our lives. If God is with us, nothing is impossible. So, what triggers the power of God is not a goosebump raising speech. What triggers the power of God is obedience. For more information on Grace Covenant Church, our service times, ministry opportunities, directions, and more, visit us at gracecovenant.org.